0: book three part four of susan by ernest old meadow this librivox recording is in the public domain saint veronique part four tuesday ten fifteen a m the lord ruddington would be speaking no more than the truth if he always signed himself susan's most obedient servant he has been as prompt with his pen and ink self's bidness as he was with the pasty-faced artist's photograph he says ma it is monday morning when i have finished this i shall have written you once this week once last week the wednesday and once the week before on the saturday yet i am scolded for breaking the rules you must send me an exceptionally kind letter to soothe my wounded feelings it was unpardonably careless of me not to forward full particulars and references when i first applied for the post of protector to suzanne but i have to-day filled up a form and am enclosing it with this references are kindly permitted to the durningham photographer and to mrs juggins the housekeeper at Ruddington towers i have taken conscientious pains to fill up the form correctly for instance i squandered a whole penny this morning weighing myself on an automatic machine at durningham station to be precise i have squandered tuppence because the first machine which I bribed refused to weigh me, and insisted on presenting me with a bar of chocolate cream instead. The news that you can't send me your portrait is desolating. It is another reason why you must be extra kind. All your letters are precious, but I like the little bits you write up the sides best. Why can't I have a letter made up of little side bits only? Reddington the enclosed form is a formidable-looking sheet of blue foolscap divided into columns for questions and answers it reads s b number nine 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 one names christian and surname with title or titles if any henry reginald westerton ashley ninth baron ruddington two address or addresses ruddington towers sussex ashley house st michael's square south wales ballymore castle county carry three age twenty three one hundred seventy one over three sixty five years four has applicant had whooping-cough he has heard so five or measles if so how many one six weight ten stone eight pounds includes two point one seven three nine ounces of letters from suzanne in left side breast pocket at time of weighing seven can applicant read no need to suzanne so seldom writes eight can applicant write yes once a week nine what are applicants politics not tory conservative more liberal than the liberals less radical than the radicals ten what are applicants pursuits waiting for suzanne's letters until last month spent leisure studying Spanish history and literature. 11. Personal appearance. Quite as bad as Darlingham photograph. Probably worse. 12. Hair. Brownish-black or blackish-brown. 13. Eyes. Blue. 14. Does applicant ride? Every day. 15. Does applicant swim? Yes. 16. Does applicant fish? yes seventeen does applicant hunt not much eighteen does applicant swear now and then is prepared to give it up nineteen does applicant drink half a bottle of claret twice a day twenty does applicant smoke not before one fifty p m if suzanne objects he confesses that he objects to her objecting twenty one has applicant a motor-car hates them but will learn to love them if suzanne does 22 Additional remarks is bad tempered, impatient, obstinate, and self opinionated. Has no first hand knowledge of the time it takes to prepare Byronic or other curls a nights. Has not been in love before. Hasn't a past. And hasn't a future either, unless it's to be spent with Suzanne. I don't know yet what Susan thinks of these documents. She has left them on my table without remark. At the first glance, I didn't like them. They smacked too much of the funny man laboring to be smart. But after a second reading, I like them. After all, the poor boy couldn't very well sit down with a serious face and write out his own testimonial in cold ink. His wit might be sprightlier, but I begin to discern the gravity underlying it. His way of bringing it in that he has no past, no entanglements, no old flames is skilful and considerate. Perhaps this is the very point Susan has been worrying about who knows perhaps she has been fearing that she isn't the first simple beauty that his lordship has taken by storm perhaps she thinks he's an old-style lord with a pretty taste in milkmaids and therefore not much better than a new-style lord with a nasty appetite for ladies of the ballet whatever am i to say if susan asks me what he means by the little bits written up the sides tuesday three p m my bathe made me tired I shan't go out again today. Susan is wooden-headed past belief. I was amused for a few moments at the odd comments she made on Ruddington's letter, but her dullness grows monotonous. She began, "Don't you think, Miss, that that he writes rather strange?" "What do you mean?" I asked. "I mean, Miss," whispered Susan mysteriously. "Do you think he's quite right in his head?" Well, Susan. I answered, When one looks at the way he runs after a girl whom he's never spoken to, I admit it does make one wonder if he isn't a bit mad. Susan pouted. I mean his letter, miss, she said, and this big blue paper. As for his letters, Susan, I replied, I don't see much wrong with them. Aren't they bright and frank and kind? Why does he say, miss, that he's named Henry? Simply because Henry is his name but lords don't have any names miss do they i mean they only have surnames i asked for light it was mrs hobbs the cook that told me miss susan explained mrs hobbs said that a lord could only have a surname as it might be Reddington, and the king could only have a christian name as it might be edward that's the difference miss between a king and a lord one can only have a christian name and the other can only have a surname So how can he be named Henry? When I had finished laughing, I said, Susan, you remember Mrs. Hobbs' dreadful mousseline sauce. Till today I would never have believed that there was any subject in the heavens above or in the earth beneath about which Mrs. Hobbs knew less than she did about cooking. I was wrong. If he's proper, Lord Reddington, miss, I don't see how he can be named Henry, persisted Susan doggedly i wonder miss ought we to write to mrs juggins mrs juggins yes miss he says she's the housekeeper at the towers positively the stupid creature believed that lord ruddington had seriously referred her to an actually existing dame of the name of juggins really i haven't the patience to set down half the ridiculous things she said she is certain that her letters don't weigh all those ounces she is aghast at the bad temper and obstinacy which must truly be traits in ruddington's character because he admits it miss himself she is surprised that he should be brooding so bitterly over his wasted tuppence though they do say miss that the richer people are the meaner they are in little things and that's why they've got rich she is not romantically exalte at the news that he has never loved another but she is grateful that he has got safely over the measles because uncle bob had them after he was grown up and i did think miss it looked so silly and so on and so on and so on at last i begged her to stop chattering and sent her away i can't understand her susan has always been unsophisticated but it seems something fresh for her to be vulgarly stupid and thick-headed the outlook is disconcerting my letter-writing on her behalf gives Reddington a false notion of her knowledge and her mental power so long as she retains her charming simplicity no great harm will be done for after he is disillusioned about her brains he can easily fall in love afresh with her naivete but this flat-footed hodge-like charmless stupidity is quite another story she's too stupid even to ask about the little side bits waiting for tea it may be that the fears which kept susan awake last night has frozen her wits she has the air of dreading close quarters with this affair of wanting to thrust it off an arm's length while she gets time to think i mustn't be too hard on her the girl is passing through an ordeal and i am a poor substitute for a mother or even for a bosom friend wednesday morning i have taken a resolve there's been too much Reddington. The inroads he makes on my Normandy rescue are absurd. I get my sun bath and sea bath every day, and that's all. It's time to put down my foot. Fortunately, Susan agrees with me. She does not tell me why she has so suddenly fallen out of love with the idea of being raised to the peerage. It may be that she quails and shrinks from a destiny that is altogether out of scale with her nature. More probably, it is some trifle such as Ruddington's moustachelessness but although she gives no reasons she agrees with me that it will be best to take the thing less busily for the next fortnight i've pointed out to her that she knows as much about him now as she needs to know it isn't as though she has to decide here at st veronique whether she will marry lord reddington she has only to settle whether she will let him see her next month face to face whether she will let him press in person a suit which she will still be free to refuse we have decided that i shall write him a letter to-day such as will keep him quiet and stop him bothering us then i shall be able to take a deep draught of my normandy as i take deep draughts of the cider i have been here well over a week and i hardly seem to have had one day free of him later here is my letter to her henry and it's going to be posted whether susan likes it or not dear lord ruddington your letter and the big blue form amused me very much it is interesting to have such an assortment of fresh facts about you especially the obstinacy and the bad temper it is good news that you hate motor-cars nor should we become estranged over tobacco but these are trifles aren't they i hope you will not think that i am taking myself too seriously or that i am unthankful for the trouble you take in writing such kind and open and lively letters But now that i have your photograph and know so much more about you i am conscious of a desire for a week or so of detachment from details i feel that i would like to go about my ordinary life until some light breaks on me suddenly and of its own accord the more i deliberately seek light the more it mocks and deludes me i suppose the reason is that no amount of steadily making up one's mind can suffice instead of a free involuntary motion of the heart as you wrote to me on monday you would not in any case be writing again till monday next i like to have your letters but if you postpone your reply to this until rather late next week i shall have the better chance of deciding whether we ought to meet or not yours sincerely susan briggs after lunch the letter's gone susan says she likes it i liked it too until it was dropped into the post-box but at this moment i am vainly asking myself what had become of my brains while i was writing it it's the unsusanicious letter that even my undramatic pen has compassed think of susan being conscious of a desire for detachment from details i can as easily imagine her ordering a grilled ichthyosaurus for breakfast still it's gone and now i shall have a week's peace it seems the belgian people who have had du poirier's villa de la mer for the season left yesterday du poirier is cleaning up the blue and white bathing hut on the beach he's going to give me the key and if i like i can stay down by the sea all day so long as the weather's fine the bathing hut thursday afternoon this is perfect the bright-faced sea is crooning to itself like a happy child the day is warm inland it must be torrid i have had two dips one snooze and about three-quarters of a lunch it would have been a lunch and a half if georgette hadn't tripped over a stone on the way down and dropped the wing of a chicken into the beck but the prawns and the cold veal with sauce remoulade and the great big pear were quite enough if i hadn't grown so disgustingly greedy off and on i've read several square yards of french newspapers since ten o'clock there seems to be a curse resting on all newspapers that are sold for a halfpenny never mind what country they belong to i feel as susan felt when she missed a nice service after the parish mass at st veronique church the best part of everything is to lie full back in the deck chair and to look up at the larks in the sky it's nice too to gaze over the blue-green water and to know there's a hundred miles of it between us and that worry of a ruddington i'm afraid he'll write a dozen pages on monday but until the poor little fellow begins kicking and screaming for his susan to be given to him at once i can sit here while the wind and the sun mend my nerves and smooth the past fortnight's wrinkles out of my offended brow friday night henry reginald has written the sight of his envelope made me so angry that i nearly tore it open without waiting for susan after reading his outpouring i can't altogether blame him but i am being badly treated by fate Things are worse muddled than ever. He says, My dear Susan, Seeing my handwriting again so soon, you will think that I am flouting your wishes. Not so. After I have finished this, I promise not to write you another line till you expressly give me leave. From my own selfish point of view, I have known all along that I was foolish in pleading my cause by post instead of with the living voice. But to write seemed fairer to yourself though i confess i could not have been easily content with letters had i known you were going to france in asking for a week of detachment you are right indeed i feel you have been most exquisitely right at every turn of my rude assault upon your peace therefore i agree much as i shall miss your letters you think your letters have disappointed me and i can discern that it is a pain to you to write them till they can flow from you more freely but let me tell you why i prized them far more than i expected the day i first saw you with miss langley was a saturday you simply swept me off my feet i had no more choice as to whether i should love you all my life or not than a cork has a choice between floating and sinking it was the durningham banker who told me who you were all that evening i sat alone in the dark thinking or rather i didn't think i just sat and looked like a man in a trance at the new world which had unrolled itself suddenly solidly splendidly right across the whole field of my vision i had always believed that love at first sight was out of my line indeed i had believed that nowadays it was out of everybody's line and i suspected that outside the romances there had never been any such thing in the world i had even begun to indulge a certain pride in my fastidiousness and self-control as regards women don't be hurt most dear lady at the next step in my confession if i must seem to disparage you for half a moment on paper it is only that i may show why i shall revere and honour and cherish you for ever when i came out of that saturday night dream or trance i sank swiftly down 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 into a pit of humiliation I had always believed myself free from pride of rank or pride of wealth, but it was with an immense chagrin that I remembered how the banker had answered my offhand question with the words Miss Langley's maid." A blinding flash lit up all the opposition and scorn and ridicule I should have to undergo. Not that it entered my mind even at the zero of my humiliation that I could ever give you up the fact that you were my destiny rose clear of my tumultuous emotions as radiant and immutable as a virgin peak above the mean rage of a thunderstorm but i fretted and fumed you were the rose that i must needs gather but why had fate set you behind so huge and sharp and black a thorn i asked bitterly why fate could not have contrived that miss langley should have been susan and that you should have been miss langley so that i could have come to the grange a-wooing without a thousand maddening lets and hindrances later on and in a lesser degree i also felt humiliated because i who had been so proud of my cool head found myself bowled over by mere beauty and grace like a solitary cornstalk before an autumn gale the next morning i slipped circumspectly into traxelby church just before the sermon if you hold religion sacred and dear as i feel sure you do it may shock you to know that i looked at you through the pillars of the langley monument for a quarter of an hour but my thoughts were not sacrilegious although i thanked god for your beauty and how beautiful you were that morning i worshipped god most because he had created your soul your very self as i watched you i knew that you alone in all the world could charm away my spirit's restlessness and hunger the hunger and the restlessness which i had hidden even from my own self i recalled my loveless life my boyhood spent among tutors and schoolmasters my youth and early manhood at two schools and at three universities in three different countries my last year the year before i came back to the towers spent on cosmopolitan steamships and in unhomely hotels i thought of the only women i have ever known well my hard and shallow cousins who are handsome and elegant only with the sort of handsomeness and elegance that ten thousand other hard and shallow women share with them then i looked at you again and wanted to come home to you as a bird flies home to his nest as i walked back from church i knew that my ignoble chagrin had melted and vanished at the second vision of you instead of exclaiming against fate for placing you as the word goes below me i rejoiced that there was a sacrifice to be made a way of proving to you that i was moved by love alone i laughed at myself for having wished you had been miss langley perhaps i am supersensitive ultra delicate but i felt on that sunday morning that if you had been miss langley i might have shrunk from the wooing the obviousness the hard-headed practical common sense of such a match would have put me off it when every consideration of worldly suitability pointed to a joining of her name and land and interests with mine how could i have gone to miss langley on a simple errand of love i know of one gossip who had already linked her with me how i should have cursed this rank of mine which i never wanted and this wealth of mine which i never earned if they had robbed me of the power to convince a woman of my love and to woo her for herself alone I wrote to you on the Tuesday, and you kept me waiting four days. But I knew you would reply, even as I know that when this month is over, heaven will not suffer you to wrench your life away from mine. But while I waited, I kept on schooling myself against every possible turn of events. And one thing for which I prepared my mind, forgive me again, dear lady, was this. I expected your letter would be—how shall I say it? Well— i expected a diamond but a rough one to be blunt i knew that oxford and heidelberg and salamanca had made me too punctilious and i nerved myself for a letter from a sweet susan an adorable susan a wise susan but a susan who couldn't spell but what has happened of course mere spelling and grammar are less than the dust in the balance and if you sinned against them unto seventy times seven it would be nothing but not only are susan's letters better expressed than my own they outstrip the utmost i ever dreamed of in the exquisite reverence with which they approach the sacred mystery of love where i was merely superfine and sentimental you are exalted mystical i honour your month of absence and your coming week of silence as i honour the retreats and meditations of a saint wealth and ease and rank cannot tempt you they cannot even hurry you into doing what is right till you are persuaded that it is right with your whole soul the susan i saw that saturday morning swept me off my feet robbed me of my free will but the susan who has written me four letters is so noble so deep so rich of spirit that even if the spell of her beauty were broken i should still devote my whole life to winning her though the obstacles were a thousand times as great why have i written all this i will tell you because you are entering so to speak on a week's retreat and upon your week's retreat hangs my fate if i did not write this the most recent letter of mine in your hands would be that schoolboyish blue paper with its long-drawn string of poor jokes i did not mean it flippantly but it is hard for a man to write about himself in a word i write to ask that it shall be this present letter and not the other that you will call to mind when you are so good as to think of me no i don't imagine you take yourself too seriously i have guessed that like my own your mind is more often gay than grave but there is a time for everything and i perceive that badinage is not the accompaniment i ought to be playing while you are making the momentous choice which i have so strangely laid upon you and now i steal out of your presence on tiptoe and softly close the door if you call i shall be waiting and if you do not call i shall be waiting still r susan has been in to know what i think of the letter i have told her i am busy and have sent her away it's no use blinking the fact that i'm involved up to the ears in a very very serious affair End of book three part four